Hello and welcome to At The Pass. I'm your host Adam Vetterell, and this is a show about the Ottawa restaurant scene for the Ottawa restaurant scene. I hope you enjoy. At The Pass is sponsored by City Seltzer. Flavorful, refreshing and delicious sparkling water made for everyone right here in Ottawa. Non-alcoholic and available in four delicious flavors, City Seltzer is naturally calorie and sugar-free. My favorite flavor is the orange cream. It's refreshing and delicious, but not overly sweet. They found the perfect balance of flavor and carbonation to create a satisfying alternative to alcohol or soda. It's genuinely thirst-quenching. Every can of City Seltzer supports Ottawa River Keepers and their mission to keep the watershed clean for all generations and all species. City Seltzer is the perfect drink for working at the pass, between beers, or anytime. Order your cans at cityseltzer.ca or find them at better grocery stores, cafes, and restaurants around town. City Seltzer. All bubbles, no troubles. This episode is also brought to you by North and Navy Olive Oil. Since Chris and I opened Nona, it has always been a dream of ours to offer a high-quality olive oil under our brand. It was important to us not just to repackage something that you could get at any grocery store, and we finally made a connection that allowed us to do just that. Aurelius is a local company that imports olive oil directly from a single farm north of Rome. The first time we tasted the product, we knew it was unique. It reminded us of olive oil we had tasted in Italy, and the reason for this is pretty simple. Freshness. Olive oil is a simple product. There's not a lot of interventions that happen after they're pressed. The compounds that make olive oil taste great are incredibly volatile. They don't like sun or heat, and they break down over time. Because this product comes directly to Ottawa, there are limited hours spent in a warehouse. We receive a small amount, bottle them. Chris usually puts on the wax himself, and then it's straight to you. So if you're looking to step up your olive oil game, you can buy North and Navy olive oil at our restaurant or on our website. Or you can visit the Bucci Pop Burrow Shop, which is an incredible online grocery store worth checking out. You can visit them at burrowshop.buchipop.com. My guest today is one of the main reasons I still cook for a living, and I'm really excited to introduce him. This city has had many restaurants, but very few that could be rightly called an institution. Domus Cafe rightly falls in that category, and John and Sylvia Taylor did more for this city than just run a small business. The list of cooks who left that kitchen to shape Ottawa's culinary landscape is long, and as one of those cooks, I have many theories to why that is, but fortunately for all of us, I don't need to guess because I have the man himself. So, hello, John, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. No problem. Your son, well, first of all, let's talk about where you're joining us from. You're joining us from beautiful Whistler in British Columbia. So uh, describe the weather there today, because usually people in Ottawa get pretty jealous of the weather. Well, it's the the rainy, damp season before the snow starts to fly. So this time of year is pretty much rain every day, Uh, cool, around six degrees. But uh, you get to see the little white dusting on the top of the mountain, which gets us all very excited to go skiing. Yeah, I bet. Another big reason why I'm here. So your son tells me that uh, you guys have actually listened to a couple episodes of this, which is pretty exciting for me. Um, for myself, I've listened to every single one. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I guess you know what's coming first, which is I like to ask people sort of what got them into cooking and what made them to decide that that was going to be a career they were going to follow. And uh, you're no different. <laughs> so if you no, want to get into that. Sure. Uh, yeah, mine just begins a little bit later on in time, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um I uh, grew up on the East Coast, uh, specifically Camelton, New Brunswick, on the North Coast, northeastern coast of uh, New Brunswick. But then I left there uh, around the age of 13 and ended up uh, moving to Fredericton, New Brunswick, with my aunt and uncle. And uh, I went to high school, did the usual thing, graduated in, I think, uh, it was 86. 
86 to 87, I was kind of uh, wandering and partying as most teenagers do. Mm -hmm. And uh, my aunt kicked my ass out of bed one day and put me into uh, what at that time was a Canadian government job creation program. Uh, I think liberals were in power at that point in time. Um, and they were trying to create jobs across Canada. And so you went in and you did this aptitude test and eye-hand coordination, really kind of medieval <laughs> process. <laughs> Measure of, your uh, skill. Then, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Um, and then they give you, you know, two or three choices of, you know, what would you like to try to pursue? And one was a carpenter, one was a glazier, which is a window person, and the other one was a cook. And uh, I hummed and hawed and hummed and hawed. And, you know, I was going to go for the carpenter because I was always interested in that. And I had friends who were in carpentry. And then uh, just at the last minute, I said, no, I'm going to try to cook because I always cooked at home just as a teen making cakes and stuff like that. I always had an interest in it. And uh, so they get you in a job placement. And at that point in time, uh, it was uh, a place called, there was a chain through to the Maritimes, specifically in Nova Scotia, called Caddy Motor Inns. Uh, they don't exist anymore, but they had one location in, in New Brunswick, which is in Fredericton, that was called the Lord Beaverbrook Hotel. And uh, it was, at that time, you know, a very fancy hotel, but the food, you know, you can imagine what it was like in 1987. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meat and potatoes. And then my placement uh, happened to be at that hotel. And the first uh, first day I was in the kitchen, I was with a wonderful chef from uh, uh, who was with the Kitty Motor Chain for most of his life. Uh, he was from Nova Scotia, and he was there kind of, revamping it and his name was teddy hackett um and he was the most kindest gentlest the best introduction you could have into a kitchen ever mm-hmm. and after the first day i knew immediately that this is what i was going to be doing the rest of my life and i was very fortunate to find that at the age of 18 yeah and that's sort of where it started and then a bunch of other people came through um and then how i ended up in ottawa was a chef called Derek Laude, who was a welsh guy um, was in for a very brief six months at the hotel. He left to go open Novotel in Ottawa, mm. which at that point in time was a brand new hotel, Byward Market, as you know. Yeah. Um, and he thought of me and said, you should come here. I guess he recognized I had some talent and said, you can't waste it in backwater New Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up in, in Ottawa and uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And it just kind of took off from there. And I mean, it goes into many different directions, but uh, ultimately ended up back in Ottawa in I think it was 94 after a bit of touring around. What made you decide that you wanted to own your own place? Cause there's lots of different ways to be a chef and, and you started in the hotel world, which is like pretty secure and like the most like regular nine to five ish version of being a chef, but you decided to, to sort of become a small business person and hang your own shingle. So what, what made you decide that's how you wanted to do it? Well, the opportunity came up, um, we, uh, Sylvia and I uh, had just had Cameron, well, actually Cameron was about uh, three years old when we moved back to Ottawa. And um, I had originally was hired uh, for a small restaurant that was on Slater Street, which doesn't exist. It was called Chantilly Haute Cuisine. Super, super high end, um, crazy for its time and age. It was run by Robert and Perry Sakely, uh, a couple of brothers who made some uh, big money in the stock markets, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was a really small, intimate room, really, really fancy. And I got hired for there. Uh, and then uh, Domus Cafe, which, you know, even in 94, you know, was still, it had had a reputation for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were looking for a chef. Um, and I applied uh, and I got the job. And then uh, at that point in time, I was co-chefing with, uh, oh, I'm going to Richard Negro. Um 
who was there and i think he left it open his own place and then uh barbara siegler who was the owner of domus housewares which was next door which is always there um off uh, approached me to say you know do you want to take it over and being a young foolish boy <laughs> i jumped at the opportunity and they financed it uh uh and i think it was may of may of 96 that i signed the lease for a five and five and then uh yeah and that's where it started um at that point in time the the cafe was known as you know they were selling a lot of books in the in the in, in the uh, houseware store and so they would take books of you know whatever hot it was at that point in time and then they uh would reproduce recipes out of it oh yeah uh yeah and uh so the books would always be on display above the line be like at that point it was like mark miller's coyote cafe yeah bobby flay you know like <laughs> you know that that era was really cool um but that's not what i wanted to do um, yeah. because you can't you can't re- reproduce you know recipes from these specific regions all over the world sort of in canada and then uh uh, the Canadian Regional Seasonal became the focus, and we pretty much switched to that immediately, and just it just started to grow from there. It went in many directions, as you know, um, and a lot of people came through those kitchens for sure. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to look back at it. I mean, it just seems to have flown by. It's so fast. It was a magical time. Honestly, it was really, really quite cool. We went through so many changes and. Like you know, like you said so many times, so many people came through those kitchens, and I don't want to get into specific names because I don't want to, you know, offend anybody. Because well, how come you didn't remember me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it was eighteen years of people, so <laughs> there's but, a lot but, of them. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. So that's yeah, that's kind of, and then so that's that's kind of how I got the cafe through the eighteen years that Domus is open. It, it became known for a couple things, and and I want to I want to talk about a few of them. Uh, one of them that I think maybe a lot of people who never worked there, but maybe have heard of if you're, if you're a cook is, is sort of the raw line, which is that Domus didn't have a fridge in the low boy. It was just a cutting board and we put all the ingredients that we were going to use for the night out in front of us before the customers got there and everything was cooked, you know, from scratch right to order. Uh, how did that evolve? Cause that was already in place before I started there. So. I know how illegal was that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, sort of my chef mentor, which, you know, we're going to jump back in time here a little bit. Um, uh, I worked in a place called the, the Inn at Manitou, it was a Relais Chateau uh, outside of Perry Sound on Lake Manitouabing, sort of in uh, cottage country of Ontario. And he, what I ultimately would say, would be my chef mentor. Uh, he was French. He was from Lyon, France, but a really super, super cool guy. He was wasn't your typical European chef. He wasn't a screamer, yeller. He actually hated working with his own people. Um, but the owner of the, of the inn at that time insisted on having a full European kitchen. Um, and he, he interviewed me and hired me out of my brief stint at school at Algonquin College in Ottawa when I was there. And he hired me for a, a season at the inn at Manitou. It was only from May to, to March, I think, we were open. And uh, that's how that sort of raw line idea came that's how we did it like everything would come out just before service and everything was cooked out of a minute unless there were there were a few things that had to you know be blanched and whatnot and he was sort of a child of the nouvelle cuisine era mm. just as it was ending up so all that fine detail and having everything in front of you and cooking to order that's i think where it was instilled upon me then and also you know the acceptance of you know if you don't have the best product that you can acquire you're not going to have a good product in the end so i think that's where that came from and then it just evolved i mean you figure you know 
as, as your career goes on, you know, more and more things come into place, right? All the time, bit by bit by bit. And it's like, this works better. That works better. You're always figuring things out. You're always learning things new. You know, you know, that's just what cooking is, you know, things are changing all the time. And I think it just evolved into, yeah, that raw line and just, you know, how much fresher can you get if you're just cooking it to that chip? Yeah. It's, it's from like looking back on it now, cause that was the first serious restaurant I, I really worked in. And so a lot of the stuff you were showing me was stuff that I, I just assumed that's how every high-end restaurant ran it. And then as I moved around, I realized actually, no, it was quite unique. And I, I had a few windows. I remember one time Carmichael came in while we were cooking and he just looked and, and he mentioned something about how crazy the raw line is and, and how special it was. And that was the first time I, th- I realized, Oh, you know what? Maybe other people don't do it like this, but the, the big takeaway I had from it was that it did force everyone who worked there to become, you had to become a chef in your own right because the menu changed so often and you, you had to figure out how to solve problems as yeah, they were coming yeah. up. Um, yeah. And ultimately, ultimately, you know, that's why so many creative people came out of that kitchen because they weren't stuck in a rut. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, it was, you know, the menu did change constantly. I mean, there was always the staples, you know, that, that one billion serve stack tomato salad <laughs> for one, you know, um, you know, those, those things that you couldn't take off the menu, but you know, it was, as you know, it was very, very seasonally daily inspired food. I mean, when I took over the cafe, the market was just busing, you know, it was just crazy. I mean, I walk, get off the bus and walk down through the market, and, you know, on the way to the restaurant in the morning and like, you know, Madame Rashaw, the Robinson girls, you know, whoever was there, it was like the menu was coming together as you were walking to work. Mm-hmm. And like, how cool is that? You know? Yeah, that was, that was my route to work through was, was right through the market. And it, and it was like exciting to be, you know, you'd walk in like, oh, they finally have melons. And then we'd get to the restaurant and everyone would start talking about, okay, well, what are we going to do with the melons this time? And we had the salad we did last time, but maybe we want to try something new. And it was very collaborative. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And that's. And by giving people that creative, that creativity, it, it inspires you, you know, it, it, it gets your juices flowing. It's like, yeah, I could do this, you do that. And I think and that's why, you know, pretty much every person that came out of that kitchen went on to do great things, you know, it's because we weren't, we weren't stuck doing the same, you weren't a machine, mm-hmm. you were part of the whole process, like you said, very collaborative. And that was, you know, I failed to realize that even further on, it's like being away from the business now for the last three years and looking back and I'm listening to your podcast, it's like, yeah, it was a pretty special time. You know, it was really quite cool. And it just, but it just honestly it went by so fast. When yeah. I look back at it now. Well, as, as somebody who's now uh, in the position you were back then, it, I, yeah, things, cause there's so many other things to worry about when you're, when you're also the owner and, and yeah, things money. Really pile, yeah it's mostly money. <laughs> and so <laughs> things pile up fast and, and it's so, yeah, I, I look back really nostalgically on that time when I was at an age where all I could do, all I had to do was worry about making the best possible dish every day. That was my big concern. Yeah. And if I could do yeah. that, I could have a beer with the guys after work and, and the girls and, and just be happy. Exactly. So you touched a little bit, obviously on local food, that's the big legacy of Domus. And I mean, it's been said a thousand times before, but I think it, it bears repeating and it also is worth sort of going over uh, the struggle because you got into the local movement long before the movement even existed. Like at a time when everyone was making fusion food and trying to get yuzu and all these ingredients from around the world, you were like, nah, I just want whatever greens Crazy Dave can grow me. And uh, Exactly, yeah. 
But yeah. because you were the first one to do that, you had to sort of build the pathways. Like those farmers weren't coming into Ottawa the way everyone takes for granted right now. You had to go out to the farm. And so do you want to describe sort of that process and, and where you found the motivation and the time to do all that? Yeah, well, um, yeah, there's there was a lot of different avenues. There's a lot of, you know, people who started and and didn't make it. I mean, Crazy Dave, he was obviously our premier grower for well over 10 years. Um, and then he just approached me one day. He was in town and kind of knew what, what the restaurant was going on. I can't really quite remember exactly how he came about. But anyway, we, we met up and he was growing stuff and uh, he was, you know, a diagnosed, which I'm not sure he won't mind me saying he was a diagnosed manic depressive and mm-hmm. gardening became his therapy and, and whatnot and kept him in this world. Um, but as you know, he grew, you know, absolutely fantastic things. Um, and then, you know, there, you know, there was Andy from Maple Creek farm and then there was, you know, um, Ian, which, you know, was mostly protein in the beginning, but obviously you know, I'm pretty sure that there's still Dylan cheese and stuff now too. Oh yeah. <laughs> And there was, you know, people here and there, um, you know, like I remember Alex, when he started out at Juniper Farm, which I guess would be over 10 years or, or so now, like, you know, he was really small. And, but the thing was, is, that, you know, these guys started showing up at the door and it's just like, we we're just too small to, you know, be able to, I, I always overbought. I, mean, I think you saw that a few times, oh, yeah. you know, like, what are we going to do with all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I and mean, you're looking at the books, looking at the numbers and saying, okay, it's going to be pretty busy. We should be able to burn through that tomorrow. And then we can get on that the next day. And, yeah. you know, that, that was the joy about changing that menu, you know, on a regular basis. I mean, how many times do you remember sitting there at 515 typing the menu for that night? Yeah. Oh, so many times. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that's how fresh it was. And, I like to quote Andy Brise, how, you know, in one review she wrote, she says, you know, she just couldn't figure how we got everything so right for the day, you mm-hmm. know, so it was cold out, you know, yeah, let's do steak frit because that's what people are going to want, you know, they want something hearty and homey, that kind of thing. And that's, that's how we have able to do that because we, you know, we, we did it the last minute and, and say, this is what it is. Nice day. Let's, let's do, let's go heavy on fish, mm-hmm. you know, because you had that land and sea special all the time. Yeah. And you could, that was always what sold the most, you know, when you're verbalizing that special to people at the table and you've got halibut that just came in from, you know, from, from, from here, obviously, or, or, you know, pickerel or whatever was the season and, you know, you'd, you'd sell it out constantly. Yeah. And it would, I always remember those, like the putting together those dishes, those were always the ones we kind of got the most excited about, like the, especially sure. I remember you doing these incredible, like study of, you know, Tamworth pork or Katana lamb, and it would be like multiple elements and they would change through the night because as we'd run out of, you know, loin, you could switch to chop or whatever. And it was, so everyone got four elements, but even through service, the dish changed and, and that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Don't tell them what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I don't even know what it's going to be yet. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. But But yeah, cause you you could never get enough components, but I mean, you know, we were truly doing head to tail, you know, like, yeah, like we were buying whole animals. We got to use the whole thing. You know, it's, I mean, that's the, my discovery of, uh, I guess, you know, when it was popular uh, or at its rage to feed, um, which I don't think it's still in fashion. I'm sure it's still being used for certain things, but it was fantastic for using up whole animal. Yeah. You know, if you could roll, roll something together and put it in there, you know, and then just cook it for three days. Mm-hmm. It fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no matter what happens, it's going to be delicious. If you throw a few herbs yeah. in there, it just comes out tasting like the herbs and exactly. you, you, you look yeah. like a genius. Uh, I guess that was the molecular gastronomy rage age. 
Yeah. Which was, I guess, the mid 2000s, I guess, late 2000s. Well, with every, with every like evolution, I find it leaves a legacy of, you know, certain techniques and certain equipments and For certain, sure. and I, and definitely, definitely like sous vide is just like, it's back when we first started doing it, it was something you kind of like had to explain to the guests like, Oh, we're cooking sous vide. And then they didn't know what that was, where I think it's pretty standard issue kitchen equipment. Like you, you just, every kitchen yeah. has one and you don't even really mention it. Like you wouldn't mention we cook it in an oven. So it's, it's more or less like it's kind of just been adopted that that universe it's, it's just yeah it's just become another kitchen tool yeah and it's also a cheap way to create more stove space basically because yeah. you know a thousand dollar circulator is a lot cheaper than whatever a range is going to cost you and all that gas exactly so uh one other thing i wanted to touch on because you and especially this is probably more a question for sylvia but something you guys were big on again way before anyone else was really doing it is the the canadian wines and and yeah you have great relationships with some wine producers and you guys were sort of in on the ground floor of what is grown into a pretty respectable and big industry so if if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah well um i think our first introduction um yeah, Sylvie was was the biggest. She was, you know, she was front of the house. You know, she she was, you know, I called her Canadian sommelier. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when we were, my first chef's job that I ever got was at the Westover Inn, just outside of uh, Stratford, Ontario. And uh, the Pelham boys showed up with their Henry Pelham back on And this would be, this, just, I guess this is be like 1991, 92, maybe even 1990, we were there. And that was the first introduction to Canadian wine. Um, you know, I can't really remember. I probably remember it probably wasn't great, but, uh, but that's where it started. I mean, the Pelham boys were probably the first people that Sylvie started a relationship with. And then when we came to Ottawa, it just constantly evolved because more and more people were producing wines. And then, you know, like Niagara boomed, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of funny you mentioned that because like when we were deciding when we were, that we were going to move on, we were like, it was going to be Prince Edward County or here. And we were looking around Prince Edward County quite a bit. And of course, you know, land prices and everything else became unattainable there also, which I'm probably sure it's even worse now. Oh, that's crazy. But then, yeah, but I mean, Prince Edward County is booming now too, right? Like mm-hmm. if the wines that are coming out of there, like, you know, I can't even imagine what, what's happened over the last three years, but, you know, Claus and Chase was one of our big favorite ones. We did a few events with, with them, but she just established an incredible relationship with so many people. I mean, I can't speak on her behalf because she did cultivate a huge amount of really solid relationships with so many people over the years. And we had a, we had a rock and Canadian wine list. Yeah. It was still really hard to get people to try it though. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some people just, just, you know, would have nothing to do with it. And then sometimes, a lot of times she would just give them a glass and, you know, not tell them it was Canadian wine. And, oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a Henry Pelham Riesling, you know, it's like, Oh my God, really? <laughs> So yeah, and then it just grew. And then, you know, Sylvia just cultivated a really good lot of really great solid relationships. And we did a lot of wine dinners over the years. And yeah, it was that was that was a lot of fun to see that the Canadian wine industry grow over those years. And it's you know, we're we're respected around the world now just as much as Europe. Yeah, there there's so many great great for wines. specific styles of wines anyway. But I mean yeah. I mean your wine your wine game must be pretty, pretty solid now too, by you know, by those you know, what you've been doing with, you know all over European wines. And I mean, are you doing the natural wine thing too? A few of those? Yeah, we, we, we have some natural wines always. Uh, my business partner, Chris, that's like his favorite kind of wine. Like he, he loves it. And, and it's definitely something like if I'm drinking wine at home, I, I often have a bottle of natural wine 
and I don't see it as like it, that much different. Like it, it's, I'll, I'll buy one just as fast as I'll buy a, you know, a nice Repasso or something. But, uh, but the Canadian wines have earned, like we, we have a lot of Canadian wines on our list and, and they've earned a respect to the point. And it has a lot to do with what Sylvia was doing back then. What like, we don't have to talk people into buying hinterland yeah. sparkling if, if they're, if they're oh, sitting that stuff down, is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Oh, we should, should have a bottle of that in the fridge right now. <laughs> so he, like the the hard work was done, you know, a generation ago. So we, our our customers know about this stuff now, and it's not it's not a secret anymore. Like a, if you want a Chardonnay or a Riesling, you don't really have to go anywhere other than Ontario to get a really good quality one. So yeah. and, and Pinot yeah. Noirs and stuff, they're they're coming through. So it is interesting to see that that Sylvia sort of kind of did for the wineries what you were already doing with the farmers which like putting it front row and and holding it up so then it would be easier Um, well the wine list was pretty much usually always 80 90 percent canadian content and then you know you'd be 10 to 20 percent you know other selections for by the glass stuff anyway and the, the other thing i noticed when i was working there which again i took for granted because it was the first time i'd seen any of this stuff was like the winemakers themselves. It wouldn't be reps that would come to to Domus. Yeah. It would be the winemakers themselves, and they would always have lunch and hang out with Sylvia and and talk. And yeah. there was that kind of relationship. And then only when I went to other places, I realized no. Normally, it's a rep who shows up, and like, yeah, you can do a tasting, but but yeah, yeah. The, the person who like yeah. picked the grapes doesn't normally show up at the back door. So that was no. a, yeah, that was that was very cool because because they were, they were they were small. They were like in, they were the same thing as you know a restaurant. They were cultivating relationships that they you know were, are going to be important in the future because they have to you know they have to sell their wares also. So um, I I wanted to move to and again you don't have to talk about any of the stuff you don't want to talk to but like how the decision making went towards closing after eighteen years uh, and and sort of how you decided to move on from the industry altogether and specifically how you ended up in Whistler. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that'd be good for a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, um, you know, from 2000 to 2008, I mean, probably now I'd say like 90, 1998 to like 2008 that were, those were the golden years, you know, like that was, things were really, really good. But then that financial recession of 2008, you know, as much as, you know, I had nothing to do with the stock market or anything like that, but, you know, people who own real estate and, and people who had money and we were considered fine dining high end. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of that just started to disappear. Like, you know, we used to see, you know, politicians all the time, you know, the liberals came in or the progressives actually, the PCs, the Harper government cut all of that sort of, you know, um, you know, spending habits. Mm-hmm. And so that disappeared. Um, and then just the whole, yeah, just, you know, the fear of, 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 you know, the finances in anybody's home, I think, along with the, you know, basically, you know, the market was slowly starting to die. Just the regentrification of neighborhoods, you know, people getting their own, you know, great restaurants and their own areas, like, you know, like, um, you know, down in Hittenberg and Mechanicsville, that all, you know, that, that doesn't look anything like it did 20 years ago, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, you, know? you should see it right now. You, your brain would explode if you drove down that strip right now. And even out, you know, towards Orleans and all that, like they all started getting their own little spots because people were like, you know, basically landlords price themselves out of, you know, people being able to afford rents. And I'm sure that's what's happened in the market now. Yeah. I mean, the market, like I've heard you say, it's 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 dead. So by 2014, the debt had just accumulated. I'm not afraid to, to say it. I mean, it, it was all finances. Um, we were up 
for a lease renewal. Um, the restaurant was tired. I sat in the fence, you know, usually at 10 years, you should at least refurbish and, you know, maybe even reconceptualize your, your brand. Mm-hmm. And I failed to do that. And by, you know, 2011, 2012, you could slowly start seeing things slip. And then by 2014, the, the debt had just become too much. The landlord was quite graceful considering, you know, um, they were going to actually do the rental for us. We were going to get up to 75 seats. Um, but that would be built into the cost of resigning a lease. So yeah. I think when we started there, we were about fifty five hundred bucks a month for eighteen hundred square feet. <laughs> and if I had re- and if I had resigned the lease um, with them with the rental, I think we were going to be paying sixteen thousand dollars a month in, yeah. rent, in rent. So that's what happened. And then yeah. that, and it was just like, no, it's you know, it's been a good run. We still had tailors, which was still doing really well. Um, and so, yeah, that was it. It was just like, let's just fold it up and walk away. And, you know, the landlord was, you know, kind enough to, you know, after 18 years, you think they would be, but to, to let me walk away from it without any huge, but in the end, you know, you know, we had to, we had to walk away because the debt load was too much and it would have just been, and I saw the market changing. I saw it dying, you know, it was slowly happening. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I just, I just said, yep, that's it. Let's just, just, just walk away from this one. You know, so uh, we've had a good run. I don't think we can, you know, don't want to beat a dead horse, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, as with all the positive trends you predicted, like that the local regional seasonal thing would become huge. And, and you also predicted the negative thing, which was the death of the Ottawa's byword market, which yeah. uh, if, if you, if you came to Ottawa right now and drove through it, I'm sure you would, be very vindicated yeah. at your decision to not yeah. have a restaurant well, there mean, anymore. Yeah. I mean, Renee was the first to go. Then Murray street went, you know, mm-hmm. Murray street was kind of like off the beaten path, kind of cool. But then, you know, like, yeah, people just saw that the, you know, it's mostly rents, you know, it's crazy, but yeah. I mean, like, is the market still going in the, in the Byron market? Like, are there still vendors there? Yeah. The summer? Yeah. They yeah. do still have vendors and they did put some effort into, cause for a while, I'm sure you knew all about this politics, but some of the vendors were just resellers of like yeah. Mexican produce yeah. and stuff. So they put a bunch of effort into cleaning that up and making more space for the local vendors. So you were actually buying uh, Canadian like local produce. And uh, and so that that actually, I, I would have to say, as, as down as I am on the market, I would say that has improved quite a bit to the point where I can go there for my restaurant every now and then if, if we get shorted on an order or something and yeah, trust that cool. there's going to be good products there always. So, yeah, then then you you stuck with uh, Taylor's, which was you know a great spot and obviously much more manageable in terms of rent and everything. But uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah, just just a much less intimidating project uh, altogether. Yeah. But then eventually you did decide to to sort of pack up there. So uh, what led to that? Yeah, we uh, Sylvia. No, Sylvia was uh, the the force behind getting that sold. Um, mm-hmm. That took quite a while. Didn't happen as quick as we'd like, but uh, yeah, we ultimately just decided that um, the West Coast. I mean, my sister lives here. So my only sibling. Both the boys are out here. Um, Cameron's been here for almost ten years. Uh, Graham's here now too. He was here off and on over the last six years, but he's living here permanently now. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of wanted to, everybody to be together on the same coast, hoping to you know try to make a little bit of reconnection with the family because I mean there was a lot of you know not being around, uh, running a restaurant in the early years and whatnot. But, um, so yeah, we decided to come out here, um, just to, to see what it was like. I mean, Whistler 
like the, 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 the thing that we say here is you're living in the bubble and you truly are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't know what was going on in the outside world, but here, but I know there's a lot of people that are uh, hurting quite, you know, this is a, this is a resort, you know, technically um, a world-class destination resort. So there's a lot of people struggling here too, especially in the hospitality industry, but the construction business is like, it's phenomenal. Like what's going on. Like there's, there's not enough trades to supply the demand here. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. So yeah, we ended up uh, selling tailors and uh, yeah, we came out here in uh, April of 2017. And uh, that's, this is where we've been since. And I came out, I opened a restaurant uh, for a company here, uh, a catering company called Whistler Cooks. And uh, they opened a restaurant called Hunter Gather. Um, first time I'd ever been involved in sort of, uh, this was like really cheap, kind of a sandwich shop, uh, kind of built for locals, a lot of really, really great craft beers. Mm-hmm. And so he came up with a menu and whatnot, but, um, after a couple months in, I just, uh, it wasn't for me. Um, and so I walked away from that, uh, about three months after we opened and, uh, got into construction because, you know, I go way back to when, you know, I've always been interested in carpentry and that sort of thing. And, I stepped into the business, started the bottom of the bottom of the of the, of the ladder, like <laughs> just like started as a dishwasher in the kitchen, and uh, I've worked my way up to. I mean, this is my third year now, um, as basically a skilled labor carpenter's helper. Um, still a brutal business. Still, it's 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 quite mind blowing that it's uh, as involved as cooking and, and the time it takes to learn all of the tricks of the trade. Yeah, for sure. But uh, but quite enjoyable. Uh, I. Uh, uh, still, you know, I, I'm still very much involved and in love cooking and food and still, you know, hopefully to do something with my sons, uh, just waiting for the right opportunity to come up. But, uh, it's, you know, it, the whole world's in turmoil right now, as you know, but, yeah. um, I think something will happen down the road. I'm definitely going to get back into it. Um, I took a job a few months ago or no more than a few months, uh, about six months ago in another restaurant that was in Pemberton, which is a community about 20 minutes, uh, south or north of here. And, uh, that didn't work out either. <laughs> Took me back into a kitchen. So the thing that really made me realize, I think the most is that I have to be my own boss. <laughs> yeah. Once you, yeah, I can't work for people in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Once you've done it once, it's hard to go back to taking orders. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but also the freedom that, uh, that I got out of, you know, I'm working 8am to four thirty, five days a week. I'm making enough money to survive. And, uh, um, when I went back into that second attempt at going back into a kitchen, I just realized, wow, the freedom mm-hmm. that I had, you know, because Sylvia and I would take off every single weekend. We got a, a rooftop, um, tent on our truck and, you know, we just take off every weekend and go camping. You, you know? guys are like such West we're... coasters now. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of cliche almost, <laughs> but it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, having that freedom, you know, but, uh, I mean, I did my tour, like, you know, I've, 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 uh, I've laid down, you know, my time in the kitchen for sure. You know, and, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I'm definitely not stepping away from it forever. I'm definitely going to uh, do something, but like I said, it's just waiting for the opportunity. I don't think it'll be a restaurant. Like I so, so to speak, sit down. I think that whole, that whole world has changed, you know, who knows what's going to come. I mean, you, you'd probably be able to give me more insight into that than anybody because, you know, you're having, you're doing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I wish can I you survive? could. Can, yeah. Can you, can, can you survive just on takeout? We will see. Cause we're, that's yeah. kind of what we're trying to do right now. And, uh, it's tight as I'm sure you can imagine. You've yeah. spent, uh, the better part of two decades staring at, uh, 
at the numbers and knowing what the margins look like at the best of times. Yeah. So it's, it's terrifying to be honest. And, and all of it's being propped up by sort of, I mean, government subsidies and, and thank God the, the liberals are in power now and not, uh, I'm pretty sure if the conservatives were, we wouldn't be getting any of this and we would just be dead, uh, yeah. dead men walking. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it, crazy times. I don't, I have, my heart goes out to every single one of you, you know, trying to make your way through this because Ottawa just sounds like it's just the food scene is just hopping. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, I remember when getting there, you know, it, Ottawa was a meat and potatoes town, mm-hmm. you know, and it's certainly not that now. Yeah. I that's it's sort of so, so cool. What, what everybody's, what everybody's done in their own unique way. That's what's been really depressing about, sort of this pandemic and the effect it's had on this industry is, is like you said, we, we were really as like a whole community of chefs and, and not just chefs, but like there's cool sandwich spots and cool burger shops. Like the whole spectrum of food was, was every box was getting ticked and we were really hitting our stride. And I mean, it remains to be seen exactly how it plays out and, and how awful it's going to be in the end. But, uh, but yeah, that it was a big, at the very least, it was a big speed bump in the road to that. And, and so it's sort of depressing uh, to think. Well, it's, yeah. Well, I listen to a lot of a lot of podcasts now because I, I do a lot of solitary tasks at work, so I'm always plugged in. Mm-hmm. And uh, or you know, but I, I listen to David Chang on a regular basis. And, oh yeah, because he's a good out, he's a good outlet of what uh, what's happening in the states. And uh, you know, they've got it bad. Yeah, everything <laughs> that we complain about here, you can multiply by. 10 or 20 and that's what's happening yep. south of the border so it, i mean as bad as it is for us uh and you're opening a new and did you open your new place so uh we had we had signed a lease right before the pandemic broke and uh that whole project got put on pause for a little while but uh we've sort of got it back going so actually in two days from now will be our first out the window takeout delivery day so it's a uh, it, um we'll be doing pastas and and sandwiches and stuff just to just to introduce ourselves to the neighborhood. And we, we hired some great cooks and the energy in the kitchen has been so good and everyone's so excited just to feed people. Uh, so we're, we're just going to open the windows and, uh, and serve some people and, and get used to our equipment and get our feet under us. So uh, we're pretty excited yeah, about that's, it. That's, that's kind of crazy. You've come, you, you know, that, that place is full circle for you, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where yeah, I met that's Chris. Cool. So, so my business partner, we, we've been friends for years and that's where we met. And so the whole place is, the whole project's been very nostalgic for us and, and we're, we're really excited for it. We're not going to let a pandemic, uh, dampen that mood. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you say you listen to David Chang, uh, his podcast. Uh, so you, you're still staying plugged into, to the world of. Oh, very uh, much, very much. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good. Cause I want since you have shown yourself to be pretty good at predicting what's coming next, I want to ask you, I want to crib some notes off you here. Uh, like if you did say, say, you know, you won a lottery and your sons were like, yeah, let's, let's jump into the, the restaurant world. What, what would, uh, what would like a deal, an ideal John Taylor restaurant look like in 2021? Well, I mean, Cameron, I had thrown around quite a few ideas over the years and like, it's, it's kind of up to me to kick my, myself in the ass as, you know, when an opportunity comes up, but, um, if you've, you've heard of Turkey and the Wolf in Orleans, Mm-hmm. New Orleans, yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much something like that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally lowbrow. Um, I mean, I think the future of restaurant dining is going to be, you know, takeout, grocery combination. Uh, I mean, things will get back to normal, I think, but 
uh, is, you know, a lot of changes had to happen in the business, just the way the economics work for it, the inequality of front and back of the house. You know, a lot of people have tried to change it and it still has to go through a lot of change. So, I mean, you know, workers equal pay. I mean, you know, just, you know, things are not cheap anymore, man. Nothing. Yeah. It's not cheap to live anymore. I mean, it's, you know, we really realize that here. I mean, here, like we're, we know we'll never buy a home here. And we'll have mm-hmm. to go 200 kilometers in either direction to find land. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be that kind of model. It's um, I think the delivery aspect of it, I think they've got to go away somehow because I think they take too much of your margin. Don't they? They're, they're quite yeah. expensive. The, yeah. So that's going to have to change. The conundrum is they expose you to like a network of customers that you might not otherwise get exposed to. But then the yeah. downside is they, they take your whole profit margin with them. Yeah. So that, that, that obviously is not sustainable. No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be, um, you know, what's the prediction? Like 2022 for wealthy countries to sort of get back on, on schedule. But I mean, you know, I'm, like I said, we live in a bubble here. I'd, you know, I get my information through hopefully truthful, honest media. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, like I said, I'm not in it on, on the ground level right anymore, but I mean, everything that you see, and, um, and the, the big thing is, is that, as you know, your community has got to support you, right? Like our people, like, are they willing to support restaurants, you know, multiple restaurants on takeout, you know, whereas, Dying was always, you know, if you had the disposable income, yeah, you can go it a couple times a week or it's a special occasion or, you know, I just, the whole demographic has changed. I can't even imagine what it's like to try to pick your way through it. Yeah. It's just the approach we're kind of doing. And I feel like when I look around, I see everyone doing it as you just sort of, you evolve, you try something new and sort of keep a close eye on it and see if it works. And, and you move in the direction that your customers are asking you to move, but it is, yeah. it is very like, labor intensive and uh like the mental capital is really high like the there's no mailing it in and and, which is funny because in the restaurant industry typically there's never been mailing it in in the restaurant it's always been a hard business but and now especially it's like you have to think hard about every decision you're making and and it's it's really make or break like you're already on a tightrope so it's if you if you play it wrong or if you get it wrong or you pay too much for this uh it it will be a dramatic consequence. So it's, you picked a good time to be, uh, to be building houses. And you, you, were, you were saying the other day, you're building like a mansion for some billionaire. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, he's actually uh, the developer. Um, he's developed a few properties here in Whistler. This is his, his home. And yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's uh, uh elevator shaft uh, up on the side of a mountain. It's uh, it's pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, it's, it's uh not worry if uh, you're afraid of heights. That's for sure. But, uh, I'm, I'm I'm all cool with it now. But but like you said, like you you said with the takeout concept, that's you know just to jump back a little bit. You said you know like just having to you know redesign your food to be able to survive takeout. Yeah, you know that must be quite a challenge. You can't do you know those beautiful photographs on Instagram that you put out in a takeout box. No, right? We're getting better though. Yeah. I, I have to say, everyone's and and it's not just us. I I've noticed like a it's just funny watching like chefs are such resourceful people and restaurateurs are just by their nature problem solvers. Cause that's just what yeah. you do all day, every day. And it's actually yeah. been quite incredible to see some of the, some of the things people have come up with. And yeah, every once in a while I open social media and someone's got this new idea and I'm like, God, 
that's genius. And it, it's, it is a real credit to our industry that, you know, like the hardest thing you could imagine to have to deal with. And, and so many people are coming up with these great ideas and there is a sense of collaboration. Uh, there is a big push, as you can imagine, we went from never thinking about take containers to only thinking about take containers and the containers themselves, where do you get them? What, how much are you supposed to pay for them? Like, uh, what, what travels well, what doesn't, what recycles well, do you want to be responsible yeah. for filling the landfills? There was all those questions to ask. And it's like, so there was a lot of chefs I could text, uh, Hey, what are you doing about this? And everyone was very, uh, y- you know how Ottawa can be very, very collaborative and it's, it's sort of like a small town in the restaurant. Yeah, it's going to be even, it's going to be even more important going forward to become even more of a tight knit community to support each other. I think that's going to be number one for you guys for sure. It's just, you know, don't be competitive, but cause you're all in it together. Right. And let's all, you know, try to help each other out. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. just, what can we do? Like share ideas and that's how you become stronger. Right. Yeah, more, for sure. You know, two, two heads, three heads, four heads are better than one. And, and the big thing is that we have, uh, like the, we, we saw the benefits of the community improving as a whole, like the more good restaurants. I remember when Murray Street moved across from Domus and, and I, was, I was like, oh my God, we have like, this, it was an exciting restaurant and there was lots of buzz about it before it even opened. And I, I was like, oh, that's going to be bad for business at Domus. But you just said, no, no, the more good restaurants there are on the street, the better it is for the street. And the more people yeah. will just come down here and it will actually help our business. And, and I always thought that was like a, such a, a it, because it turned out to be true. I, I watched it happen where our, our business didn't go anywhere and, but their business also was booming. So there was just now two really busy restaurants on the street. So I, I thought yeah. that yeah. was the way you approach it. And, the, and that translates like the, this generation of cooks and restaurateurs. That's, that's how we think about it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Ottawa was Ottawa's. Uh, uh, you know, they, they love that town. You know, it was an amazing time to uh, to be there, and nothing but fond memories of of everything that happened. I mean, it was you know tough days, obviously, as there's any business, but yeah, I mean, you know, that kitchen was always rocking with people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such talent, man. Like the people, you know, I just actually started trying to write down, you know, people's names of you know, like who have gone through and it's like, wow, a lot of people. I'm sure I'm missing a few. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you've got it. I feel like that's a book you got to write one day. Um, and, and there was, there's one, I, I was just thinking, cause I was writing some notes for this conversation. And I was wondering, there's one guy in particular, and I'm sure you've seen like a thousand guys and girls who, who kind of fit this description. But I just remember working with Kale, who's now a chef in, <laughs> yeah. in uh, Calgary. Yeah, he's running a, yeah, he's running like uh, three or four restaurants yeah. now, I think. It's a group. And just like, he was like the most intense dude I've ever seen. And he was just like so fast and so good. And 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 it was just yeah. like, yeah. and I think... And massive back, hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just think back now, like it, it sort of a more corporate kitchen or a more uh, like by the book kitchen would have really stifled a guy like that. Whereas at Domus, he he really thrived and not only did he thrive, but his energy like infected the rest of us. Some of the people who'd been there for a while who maybe just getting a little bit, you know, in a rut, he ripped them out of that rut. And for a young guy like me, he just like inspired and like, yeah, let's go, go, go. And we'd stay late and, you know, butcher lamb till one in the morning and stuff. And that was just like his energy. So, 
but I imagine you, you have like probably like dozens of people like that who are like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we go way back to even like when we first opened, it's like Mike Chuck and Beth Ann Sherman, who um, I met in St. Mary's when I was chef at the Westover Inn, you know, they were the first sort of group. And then Mike came and joined me in Chantilly where he was there at Chantilly and I brought him to, to Domus with me and, I mean, he's gone on to do things. Beth Ann's in Toronto doing her own thing. Mike owns his own Spanish import company now. Mm. And then, you know, um, there's Matt Carmichael who came in there in the beginning. And then, you know, the Fraser brothers. Uh, I mean, God, it just goes on. There's Cameron Stubbs. There's, you know, there's Trish. There's, you know, um, Phoebe and Oliver. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like, what? <laughs> that's what I mean. You got me mentioning names. I don't want to say <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we can stop now. <laughs> there's people who got left off. And I, but, I mean, I can... they all know who you know, they all know who they are. Yeah. Like, I mean, that place would have been nothing without you guys. I mean, it's, it's a collaborative effort. I was just, you know, the wobbly captain trying to keep the ship straight, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, it was an incredible time. And I figured I, was, I just had a thought, but it slipped out my, my, my back end. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of people. I mean, I mean, the Fraser brothers, you know, Simon, you know, he was, he was with me for eight years. Yeah. You know, like that was, you know, he was a huge part of it. Um, then you came afterwards. I mean, there's Matt Pritchard that was there at the end. Um, <laughs> he ended up coming out here. I actually hired him to help me open Hunter Gather. Um, um, and then he went to work at uh, Wolf in the Fog in Tofino. And Matt, again, my apologies about Hunter Gather. I know it didn't <laughs> go great. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if he's still there, if he went back to Ottawa or. But mm. yeah, I mean, but everybody worked so hard and everybody had such talent and creativity and, you know, put so much effort in and, you know, just to, you know, to have everybody withhold that passion that I had, that I felt. And I mean, I hope, you know, obviously I was able to pass it on to most people too, because I mean, look what, you know, I don't think anybody that came out of the kitchen didn't open up their own restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Especially like the, the cohort that I was in with Farbs and Trish Larkin and, and it really was like every single person who left there went on to either open their own spot or to to be the chef of a new spot. Like it really was like yeah. a, a chef training ground. Uh, and and yeah, Simon and Ross were the first to leave when I was there and they, they opened Farbs, which still is standing and is like basically earning itself a reputation of uh, uh, an institution. And so... Yeah, Farbs, Farbs. Or sorry, not Farbs. I said, I said Farbs, yeah. but I meant to say uh, Frasier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fraser Cafe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're still going. And they still have uh, a place in the Glebe too, right? The a bar also. Yeah, didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's like, what are you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> opening a restaurant. So yeah. you want to open a restaurant, eh? Yeah, I say <laughs> that's, I what, say that's that what, about once a week. So you want to yeah. own a restaurant? Yeah, that's what uh, you know. Someone I said we're going to make a board game. It's going to be like Monopoly. So you want to own a restaurant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and or then, I guess it'd be a good book title also, I guess. Yeah. And then it's all about like dealing with the floodings and the oven breaking and the the constant. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what makes you, that's what makes restaurateurs such, you know, smart thinking on your feet people. I mean, you got to, you got to resolve immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no hesitation or decision. You got to like sink or swim, you know, that's what's kind of cool about it. Yeah, but, but it's also, you know, it's very stressful. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're like the only person I think who went to construction and found it. You're like, it's it, it's so free. I'm so free. It's like most <laughs> yes. people would get a job in construction and be like, oh my God, this is so hard. But you, you find it like a, a nice relaxing distraction. 
Yeah, I mean, it's got a stays too, but but yeah, it's uh, you know, but like I said, I'll we'll get back in the game at some point when the opportunity. I mean, the unfortunate thing out of all this demise is that there's going to be some great, you know, uh, advantages to this whole uh, shakeup of the restaurant industry. There'll be a lot of cheap equipment. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's going to be equipment for sale. There's going to be leases that I I hope this serves yeah. as like a little bit of a correction on the lease market. Uh, yeah, that, that like if landlords yeah. think somebody's going to walk in and pay you know twenty grand a month. Own, do you own your building on a pier? We yes, we we own that oh, building. That's that's smart. Yeah, own your own your real estate for sure. <laughs> yeah, that I I have to give Chris more of the credit for that uh, deal going through. It, it was sort of a stressful situation where it kind of went for sale and then we had no choice well we did have a choice we could have got new landlords but we were very nervous about what that would mean for us oh, i uh, kind of remember that somehow yeah for some reason i think i was yeah. talking to you roughly during that time so it was like it was kind of like a way to save us and and luckily chris was able to figure out a way to do that and uh so yeah that it was you know stressful for a little bit but now it's obviously like a huge advantage yeah. and uh that's what that's what sylvan and i always said we should have had an accountant for a partner Mm-hmm. But I kept this a little bit more. Yeah, an accountant lines. and then like a plumber <laughs> as a partner and an electrician as a partner. And I think uh, yeah. there's a few people you could really could really use to be able to pick up the phone and be like, help. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, John, I, I can't say enough about how thankful I am that you were able to join me today. And I talk about you pretty much every episode. So it would be crazy if I never got a chance to talk to you in uh, long format. You know, it's just important for me to reach out and this is a good way to do it, I think, and say, you know, just how much appreciative I am of, you know, the support that I had in Ottawa over all these years, customers and people like you and all those guys, all of you who came through that kitchen, you know, like I said, it would have been nothing without all that talent. And I'm so glad to see so many people go on and carry on that legacy of, you know, entrepreneurship and creativity. You know, it's so important and that really makes me feel good that it's, uh, you know, I might've had a small part in making Ottawa a much better place to go and eat. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a small part. It was, it was quite a big part. And I think, uh, I think I'm not just saying that because I'm heavily biased. I think that's pretty much the consensus among people who didn't even work there and, and people who just observe from the outside. So thank you so much for talking to me and, um, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Oh, I'm going to be off to, uh, off to work and put on my rain gear. All right. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to At The Pass. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a nice review. And feel free to get in touch. My email is adam at northandnavy.com. Thank you.